Hello there, welcome to the Low Blacks one-to-one podcast. My name's Chris Allen, I'm the managing partner of Black Solicitors. Over the last 25 years, I've met some very interesting people in Leeds, and over the next few weeks, I intend to catch up with some of those people and share some of their views and stories with you. I hope you'll find the interviews interesting, engaging, and even educational. My guest today is Adrian Tchaikovsky. Adrian and I know each other pretty well. We go back a fair old way. In fact, we even worked together at one time. Adrian now is known as a fantasy and sci-fi author, and I've asked him to come in today and just tell us, uh, give us a bit of an insight of what it's like to be an author in this day and age, what that entails, and how easy or difficult it is to write a bestseller today. Welcome to the podcast, Adrian. Hello, thank you very much. I think we'll start in the past, if that's all right. You've been writing books now for, just remind me, how many years have you been writing them? Oh, blimey. Um, I've been in print for about 12 years and not in print for about 15 years before that. Right, so uh, a fair old spell. Early fantasy and sci-fi influences, what, what, what sort of triggered you your, your interest in this area? Well, I mean, I, I kind of cut my teeth as a reader on the old uh, target novelizations of Doctor Who stories. But I think the growing up, I think the biggest influence on me that led to me writing was probably Diane Wynne-Jones. Right. Uh, mostly because she she writes uh, she wrote children and young adult uh, fiction, but it was of an enormous variety of topics, and she went a lot of places that in those days um, that kind of book usually didn't. So, for example, there's a book of hers, a personal favourite called uh, Power of Three. Which presents you with the standard kind of fantasy setup. Well, these are the um, these are the kind of the the heroic culture that you're supposed to identify with, and these are the these are the sort of uh, water dwelling fish people. They're obviously the bad guys, and then turns it all on its head, and then does it again several times in the narrative. And that that was really kind of a the the idea that you could play those games with a reader was quite an eye opener with me. I still remember my first go through that book and how much it expanded my horizons. Yeah, it's an interesting approach as well, very different to the Eni Blyton approach where the good guys are the good guys and the bad guys are definitely the bad guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's clear. And that seemed, interestingly, jumping ahead, that, that looks like a theme you might have adopted yourself in uh, one of the books we'll come to shortly, uh, from my perspective. So when did you first start writing then? How old were you when you actually put, I say, pen to paper, what, what were you were you writing or were you typing on a keyboard in those days? Um, I started when I was about seventeen, so uh, just sort of A levels ish age. I started uh, writing out in um, just in long longhand in notebooks, um, but I, I moved. I, my handwriting is tremendously um, laborious and incredibly hard to read. Right. So as soon as I actually had available to me a, a, a word processor. Um, yeah, that that was there was pretty much no stopping me from there. But were you writing for your own sort of amusement there, or your own interest, or were you were you giving those stories or whatever you were writing to anybody to look at, or were you? Honestly, I what I just I was a very um, I was a very keen um, player of role playing games right. back then, and that involves a lot of sort of storytelling in the same kind of way. And then I came across a series of books called the Dragonlance Chronicles, which were effectively a role playing game turned into a novel and that suddenly opened the door to me think actually that's sort of bridging the gap from where I am to where a an actual author is it's a, it's a path I could conceivably take and so when I actually started writing these things down I was doing it with an eye to it being read by other people I, was, I didn't start off purely for my own pleasure it was it was definitely 
so that they could potentially get published. Yeah, so you, so you, so you, were, you were aiming at an, an audience even at that time. Yeah. And in terms of writing a, a novel then and writing a novel today, have you changed your style? Have you changed your approach to doing it? How, how does anybody sit down and, and write a novel? Um, well, every, every writer tends to have a different uh, procedure. I mean, they're the kind of a, um, a spectrum between people who plan a lot and people who just sit there and write and it all kind of comes together in the writing. I'm definitely on the planning end of that. Um, I wasn't back at the start. I mean, this is one of the things that's changed. So a lot of my early stuff was very rambling. It didn't have a particularly strong narrative thrust because I was just going wherever the the mood took me at the moment that I was writing. These days, I sit down and I plan everything out chapter by chapter and I tend to when I approach each chapter, plan that out scene by scene, just because I find it helps me shape the narrative. And it means that there's, I think, less time spent going back and reshaping earlier sections to fit with stuff you write later if you have a better idea of how it's all going to go. And is that something you've taught yourself or is that something you've discussed and picked up from other authors? Uh... It's certainly it's something I've developed myself. I think it, it just it's arisen fairly naturally out of how I, how I construct a story. Yeah. Basically, I think I, I, I need that sort of roadmap before I, before I embark on something, anything long anyway. This podcast is, needless to say, sponsored by Black Solicitors. Black's is a law firm based in Leeds, and we provide a range of commercial, property and private client services to clients throughout the United Kingdom. Obviously, I'd love you to enjoy this podcast and then use our services on any legal issues you have going forward. If you visit lawblacks.com, you'll see the kind words that existing clients have had to say about the services we provide. Now, back to the podcast. And so as, as time went by, where did you reach a point where... You know, what is that process? Did you write novels and stories and send them off? And if so, who to? And what was the reaction from those people? Well, this was, I mean, this was, it's interesting because the, the, the way you go about things now is, is quite different and it's considerably easier than it was then because you've got the internet and you can submit by email. In those days, what you'd do is you would buy a copy of a book like The Writer's and Artist Yearbook and you'd look up the all the science fiction um, publishers in there and all the science fiction agents in there and you'd send it off to them either individually or all at once because, frankly, you know, these things take a long time and if you're waiting each time, you know, four to nine months for something to come back before sending it off to a second publisher, then you're going to be waiting a long time. Yeah. And that's basically what I did. I'd write a book in a year, I'd send it off, I'd get a, eventually a scatter of rejection letters back, and then I'd, by that time I'd probably already be writing the next one. And the rejection letters say, not, just not for us, or what do they um, say? If you're getting sort of a personalised rejection letter that's, that actually talks about what could be improved with the book, you're doing very well. You're already kind of in the late stages of the game. So most of the rejection letters were either we didn't like it, or we haven't had time to read it, or... You sometimes felt we haven't had time to read it, but we're pretty sure we wouldn't have liked it anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, and yes, you, you do accumulate this, this, this stock of two lines. It can't go downhill from there, can it? Well, <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one. And how did you how do you how did you take that rejection? Because you've obviously put a lot of effort in at that point, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I, possibly it helps with it coming that much later than sending it off, and that kind of the you know the initial you know, you're probably onto another project at that point, and the initial sort of enthusiasm had for the book you've sent off has dampened slightly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't. You know, it's never terribly pleasant getting rejected, um, but it's it's part of the process. It's yeah. a tremendously oversubscribed field, and that's 
part of the process is is I probably sit here thinking, well, that's easy to say now that things are going well. Did you have to sort of steel yourself a little bit there, or or was it just look? I know this is the world, and the chance of one of these novels getting picked up is pretty, you know, is pretty slim. And you, and you were okay with that? Like I say, it was it was. I had a good fifteen years of this, um, and it was. I was. I think I was getting pretty desperate towards the end. I mean, I kind of set myself a deadline. Mm of my 35th birthday, of when I would have got somewhere. Mm. And if I hadn't got somewhere, I, was, I told myself that I would basically chuck it all in. Because at this point, you're working, married? Oh, yeah, yeah. Work, work, family, working, you working, know, married, everything, everything's you know, following a normal path, as it were. Yeah, but I, mean, I think it was more, you know, just it was getting to the point where having the unfulfilled ambition was just becoming a bit of a psychological problem, in all honesty, um, because it was, you know, I was so desperate for it to happen, it just wasn't going anywhere. And was your wife supportive in this? Or oh, very, very. It, yeah. But, um, yeah, obviously, it's, it's, there's a limit to what sort of support you can get because it's a very solitary thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as it happened, I basically got um, the attention of a literary agent two weeks before my 35th birthday. Right, boom. And which book was that? That was for uh, Empire in Black and Gold, which was the first of my uh, my original, my fantasy series, Shadows of the Apt. And Shadow of the Apt ultimately turned into ten books. Yeah. I think that's right. <laughs> yeah. So when, you, when you'd written book one and mm. you got that interest from the well, agent... It was, what I'd actually... Um, because I knew this was based, probably going to be my last shot, you know, given my own sort of self-imposed <laughs> deadline... Yeah. Um, what I did was rather than just writing book one and sending it out, because I really wanted to get the whole sort of initial plot arc written, I wrote the first four books before submitting the first one, which is the first time I'd ever done that. Yeah. Again, off your own volition, or was that somebody's advice? No, no, this was, this was just entirely me. I mean, there are, honestly, there, there are support networks out there. There are, you know, there are writing groups and there are writing courses and you can go to conventions and all this, but I, I didn't really have any of that available to me. And... Thinking back to the way I was, I'm not sure how well I would have sort of made use of it, to be honest, yeah. because it's, I mean, I, I mean, frankly, I can imagine myself being a bit of a nightmare at conventions back then, being an unpublished author and just desperate to somehow find the secret yeah. that from one of the people around me. I think I'd have probably ended up blacklisted by the entire industry. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just decided, well, I'm going to write the whole, this whole thing, so I'll have a complete collection, and then at least it will be written, no matter what. Yeah. So if I went back in time now and, and was sat next to you just as you finished book four and you're about to send off the first book yeah and i turn to you and say agent think you've written something pretty special here what would you have said to me um i honest i think i mean i guess i would have said yes because i would have said that against about any of the books i had written as and when i'd finished them but i don't think that there was necessarily anything about that book that flagged it up for me at the time right i mean the thing is what i've gone back through my back catalogue of old work to see what can be salvaged basically as I suspect a lot of writers do and I have been able to make something of the previous two manuscripts before Empire in Black and Gold and then the one before that I think is beyond help right <laughs> um so it's interesting I mean it's interesting to think back at all, all the years I wasn't getting published the reason for most of those years I wasn't getting published or at least one of the reasons was that I wasn't writing stuff good enough to publish no which I which I absolutely was not aware of at the time and do you ever get um, not necessarily younger, but other writers, uh, budding authors, contacting you and saying, "Adrian, can you check this over?" Do you do you 
does that happen in in your world? Um, I get I, yeah. I mean, I, I get quite a lot of that, and it's not something I can really do. Both right. because my I mean my reading time is very limited, and I've got I get a lot of. I mean, I get sent a lot of books by publishers these days to to quote or to look at, and also I've got a lot of stuff I personally want to read yeah. that I find really difficult cramming in. And also, the last thing you want to do is you get a book from a writer that a book has not been published, and the book turns out to be something really similar to the one you're writing at the moment, which is always the, the nightmare, because at that point, what do you do? Because yeah. it's going to be very hard to avoid someone's accusations of plagiarism when, yeah. when your yeah. book comes out. Absolutely. And we all know about copyright, don't we? Um <laughs> Okay, so 10 books, Shadow of the Apt, and um, obviously, how do we measure success at this point? Is success, you're selling more books, or is it the feedback you're getting, or, you know, the invitations to book signings and things? You you honestly, you get pressure, there's, I mean, they're the phrase about mushrooms, which I won't repeat on a polite podcast, but you you honestly get very little feedback as an author um, from anyone. Um, you, you You can have a real job getting hold of things like how well is the book selling? And even then you have some numbers and you don't know how good the numbers are. I mean, the, certainly when you're writing a series, the big success is they will give you a contract for the next book in the series. Yeah. Um, and yes, I mean, I'm, I, I'm still not quite sure that how I got away with writing a 10-book series. Long series were kind of the thing at the time. I mean, um, George R. R. Martin was, yeah, was powering away through Game of Thrones at the time and you had Eric, Stephen Erickson was writing a big series. So that was just the fantasy zeitgeist. And I think if I tried to get a 10-book series off the ground now, I think the people might be a bit leery about it, and I probably wouldn't be able to get it finished. Um, and even then, obviously, I wasn't writing it thinking, oh, this will be a 10-book series, which is why you've got a an end point to a plot in book four and another one in kind of book seven and then another one in book ten. So it, right. it, it segments... So it was Quite when easy. you got to book four. It was never. It wasn't really intended to be a ten book series. It was probably might have been a seven book yeah, series. Yeah, I mean, I had written the fifth book yeah. at that point, um, so I had something to submit, and you know, it was obviously doing well enough that they were happy to keep turning them out. Yeah, fantastic. Any point in those ten books? Do you have any? You hear of writer's block? Was there any of that affecting um, you, or were you on a roll at this point and all's good? Writer's block is an interesting one. The, your traditional writer's block where you just sit there and you can't think of anything to write has never happened to me. And it, I think it's, I think it does happen, but it's far rarer than you think. Because that's the one you tend to see when you've got a, like a TV show and your character's a writer and they have writer's block and they can't think of what to write. The closest I get to that, though, is if it's essentially just a, almost a logistical writer's block where you've got a thing you need to happen in the book, but it's working out precisely how it can happen. Things like, how, why has this character gone to this place where you know they need to be? Why, how does this character get hold of the information that they need to do the thing they need to do later on in the book? And it, it's weird little details like that um, that can suddenly turn up and stump you for a bit. Yeah, and did you... When you wrapped up the ten book series, did you find it hard to wrap up the loose ends? If there were, you know, there's a Game of Thrones. I think slightly harshly, I thought had been got a bit of stick really for the for the final episode or the final series. There was a lot going on. I won't ruin it for anybody else. There was a lot going on. But I, as a fan, a reasonable fan, I'm not a fanatic fan of it. But as a fan, I wasn't unhappy with it. Honestly, I I mean, there's a a lot to do as a writer. I, I, you know, there are various bits and bobs that I thought well you know that that's not necessarily the choice I'd have made but I thought they wrapped it up very well and I thought the final episode in particular was extremely well done yeah but yeah. yes I mean I I think the problem is you get anything like that that sufficient people are invested in and you're never going to please all the people all the time no. I, I mean what I I didn't have any problem wrapping up in the final book but in the uh, there's book seven of the series 
was suddenly the book I had to tie up all the loose end of the previous six books, foreshadow the next three, and also fit a whole book's worth of plot into. That was <laughs> right. a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, but you got through it. And then we come to a book which possibly changed your life, changed, changed your world to some degree, Children of Time. Yes. Um, now, this is a book which I know from, from you and I talking. You won the Arthur C. Clarke Award. Now, that, to me, sounds a big thing. It seemed to be a big thing to you when you won it. I was delighted for you. We all were. Just talk to us about that book and what that award meant and why you think the book won the award. I'm not sure I've got a good answer to that last question. <laughs> um, so, all right, Children of Time was a big... Well, it, it, for me, it was a big departure. I guess if you're, if you're kind of within the genre, then sci-fi and fantasy are fairly different things. Um, I, yeah, if you don't read either, then they probably seem relatively similar. But it, it's quite a big... Sci-fi traditionally doesn't sell as well right. as fantasy. Yeah. Um, and this in particular was a very odd kind of sci-fi book. Um, you know, the subject matter is kind of weird. I, I wrote it out of contract purely on spec. Um, I didn't necessarily think I'd even be able to, to get the publishers to pick it up in the first place, let alone that it would do well. Yeah. And it just seemed to catch people's imagination. And it honestly... Getting on the shortlist for the Clark Award. I mean, the Clark, the Clark Awards are, are they're a, they're a big deal. They're one of the big three kind of glo- awards globally, along with the uh, I think it's the Hugo's and the Nebulas. Yeah, uh, and they're certainly they are the big UK award. Um, and getting on the shortlist just seemed to start a bit of a snowball rolling, and then obviously the actual the award win made the book a genuine bestseller. And did um, you did you you get invited to an event, presumably, a, is it a dinner or a, a presentation? Um, or? They're, the, they're the whole big sort of presentation, obviously, yeah. and, you know, until the announcement made, I, I, I didn't have any idea that I'd won. No. Do you have um, to do a speech when you won? I did have to do a speech, <laughs> and I met up, before I went on to the awards, I met up with my agent and a couple of friends in London, and I... We we had dinner before the thing before the awards, and I thought well, I, I should probably have something to say just on the off chance. So I had something basically written on the back of a napkin, yeah. um, which then became my acceptance speech when I won. So. <laughs> and is there somebody there saying, you know, keep moving, son? We don't need we don't need a, another chapter of the book here. Just well, I, I yeah, I, I um, yes. Given that my books are generally known for being fairly long, yes, it was it was a nice brisk speech. Yeah, good. Well, well done. And so, again, just talk to me about what success meant at that point then, because um, how well, did the, that change things? It put me on the map to a certain extent. So it meant that, for example, we got uh, there was a film option deal, which is not something that ever happened before. Um, I got my first audio book with Children of Time. I saw, you know, there were a number of other publishers I started working with because suddenly I was I was someone who was kind of on their radar. And you and and are we still dealing with the same agent today that we had in? Uh, yeah, that time? I, I have been with uh, the McCheatham agency, yeah. Simon Cavanagh of the McCheatham agency, since the beginning, and it's it's been an extremely um, close and profitable partnership. Yeah, great. And, and 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 they must be delighted with how how things are going. Yeah, no, and and you know it was you know Simon was there when the announcement was made, and it, you know it was. There, there's definitely a team aspect to making a book. There's you, and there's your agent, and there's there are editors and various other people in the in the publishing house. And you can, you know, it is, you kind of feel that it, you know, it's it's a bit like being an athlete. You're not just one for you. You've won for the team and the trainer and yeah. all that sort of thing. And and the editing. So if you wrote a new book today, you'd you'd send that and and an editor goes through it, mar- marks up a men's. You know how does that how does that work? It's a multi stage process. So first of all, my agent will go through, and these and he'll. Any kind of large-scale stuff will generally be caught by him. 
and then there is a, like, effectively a succession of editing steps um, at the publisher from sort of first read through all the way through to a, like a final proofs, which is just supposedly dotting the i's and crossing the t's. Although I, I do have a terrible habit of making la- sweeping late last minute changes, which is the, the thing they absolutely tell you you're not allowed to do. In terms of that, then the editor comes back with comments, suggestions. Do you have to take them on board? You don't have. You don't have to. I mean, it's. Taking taking criticism is one of the things I think every, you need to learn to do as a writer, but it's it, it's hard to do. And you know, sometimes you have an editor who you who you feel a great deal of confidence in, and you're very happy with what they're saying. And then sometimes you have an editor, and you think, well, I'm not sure I agree. And that's honestly when I tend to bounce things back to my agent because I don't want to be the author who stops taking criticism because you kind of hear, oh yes, you, know, you get to a certain point, and then you say, well, I don't need to be edited, and that's when the books kind of grow by about fifty thousand words. And, yeah. Uh, and your sales tend to fall off. And so. you and do you meet these editors, or do you are they just faceless people um, that the docu, you know the novels dispatched to? I have like a, a sort of a, a contact editor at each of my each of the publishers I work with. They're not necessarily the person that's doing the actual line editing stuff, and I don't necessarily get to meet meet everyone everyone involved. And so the book then at that point, Children of Time is big news. You you've won the award. Uh, dealing with more publishers. It feels like momentum's gathering mm. here, and but you've written some other books as well. Uh, did you do Guns of the Dawn and Dogs of War after Children of Time, or did you write those before? Well, Guns of the Dawn came out before. Um, that was the first thing after Shadows of the Apt. So that's um, that's another another. It's a standalone sort of Napoleonic fantasy. Um, Dogs of War came after, and that was that was my first novel with uh, a different publisher to my main one at Pan Macmillan. Right, um, and it's, it's Dogs is still one of my favourites of my own my own work but again it was something i i had written basically on just on spec because i liked the idea and then i thought i'd shop it around you know and, and, and how did you find that they were received in you know follow or certainly that one in particular following the children of time was um it- yeah do, well i mean dogs because it was my second sci-fi one i think there was definitely an audience ready for it and it's it's it seems to have done decently well um mm. it's certainly had a you know it's had a very very good critical response it's been shortlisted for at least one award yeah and yeah in, in general it's, a lot, I mean, it's one of those people are still discovering it as well which is always nice and, and critical recognition you do you read everything or do you uh, you know you if you're a sports person sat here now Adrian they'd often say I don't read the papers I don't listen to social media because you know there's too much negativity in there uh, where do you sit on sort of feedback not only from critics but from you know the, the 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 fans or the critics in the street. Do you do you do you track everything? Um, I think not. Not reading the reviews is probably a good move for your mental health, but it's <laughs> not a thing I have the willpower to do, unfortunately. No. I mean, I, so yes, I, I do. Yeah, I read the reviews, and if they're nice, that's good. And then every so often, you run across one that doesn't like the book, and that sadly, those are the ones that take to stick with you in your, in yeah. your memory. But. Yeah, I mean, you 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 get to a point where you think, well, I've got a certain amount of objective evidence to show that it's the book is being well received, and you can always you sort of throw that up as a wall between you and the latest uh, person who's panned it on Amazon or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And the latest book, the one that's just come out now, which which was um, one of the, one of the, another reason for really talking to you today, Children of Ruin, the follow up to Children of Time. Yes. When did you start writing that? Because, I mean, obviously it was published now, what, four weeks ago, three weeks ago? Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. When did you start writing that? So I, that, I, I would have started writing that about two years ago. 
Um, and it's it's been about a year through the publication process. And is that had you sort of agreed to write that book? Is that part of the the process, or was that are you under pressure to write books, or do you you know from publishers? Or, or? I haven't been so far. I mean, I, in a way, I, I was vaguely surprised that I wasn't that you know given once children of time took off I was kind of surprised that no one did turn up and say well how about a sequel yeah uh but no I mean eventually the idea started to come together that I actually could do a sequel to it and I felt there was the you know the demand was there because you to a certain extent because writing a book is you know it's six months to a year of your time you've got to kind of you've got to have at least some idea of well this is the book that will that will go places. Yeah. Or at least you've got to do en- enough of those to kind of pay the bills. The and, 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 well, is it even a five-day week? It's a seven-day week, I suspect, for you. How many hours a day will you be writing? Well, at the moment, since, since I've gone full-time, I've, I've kind of settled into a pattern where I write during the morning. Um, so about sort of 9 to 12, 9 to 11, 9 to 12. Uh, and then I'll do another session of about an hour, an hour and a half, very late on in the evening. Right. And that seems that just seems to work out fairly well. And that's writing rather than just going over what you wrote in the morning. And, and yeah, I I tend to um, unless I realise I need to make some some serious changes, which is thankfully a rare event. I basically mm. tend to go start to finish, and then I'll just pick up anything on the next on the on the read through once it's all done. I, I'm very driven to get a first draft complete. So Children of Ruins out. Yeah, it's in all good bookshops, I'm sure. I don't want you to give away all the plot lines because I could ruin it, but does it, does it continue with some of the same characters or what, how, how have you continued the story? How, how was it a sequel? Well, so Children of Time was a story that took place over multiple generations. Um, Children of Ruin is happening away in the future, but um, there is one character who continues unchanged from the first one. If anyone read the first one, they'll probably work out who that's going to be. Yeah. Other than that, it is very much the descendants of characters we've known. Yeah. Um, and there is effectively if you've read Children of Time the final chapter of that has a hook I put in for a potential sequel and I'm very much following up from that so we're right. we're going exploring the basically. intentional hook to get you that second book deal I, I like, I like well, that approach yeah I mean I honestly I've never written anything I couldn't write a sequel to and I think yeah. you know you don't necessarily go in thinking this will be part of a series but it's always worthwhile having an idea that should the opportunity arise I could do something more with this yeah and any movement on the on the, the you know you, you you mentioned the film rights to Children of Time has there been any movement on that? Are we not at the moment? I mean, I think it's 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 a fairly challenging project to adapt. Um, I mean, I'm I'm kind of sitting around wishing, twiddling my thumbs, wishing that someone would just cast an eye towards say, Dogs of War or mm. Redemption's Blade or something like that because I think they are more immediately cinematic. Yes, but. Yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, uh, I think, like as I say, Children of Ruin, see, you know, from the very early days it is, seems to be doing well and seems to be being well-received. So maybe that will kind of, you know, ignite some more interest. Yeah, good. And were you nervous about that? I mean, you know, you, 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 you've, set, you've set a standard, really, it seems yeah. to me. So suddenly to put out the, the follow-up, there is always that. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, it's nice, isn't it? Dogs of War was well-received, so that, that's nice. But but Children of the Ruin comes out, you know, could easily be one of those. You know, there are certain Star Wars films that not everybody likes, <laughs> aren't there? Um, yeah, but, I was but, I was kind of very braced for the well, it's not as good as the first one, which <laughs> thankfully I haven't had much of. Yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, I think when I was writing it, I felt a lot more pressure than normal, just purely because for a lot of people, this would probably be the the second book of mine they read. And yeah. you know, obviously, if you read one book, fine. If you read a second book and you don't like it, then that's you're probably not going back. Sure. 
So the book's going well. Do fans contact you directly? Do you, you know, do you? I, I suspect the the fantasy sci-fi world is even bigger than I imagine. Are you sort of accessible to to fans? And, and yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I get mes- I get messages on Twitter and I get messages through my website, and I do my best to re- to, re- to reply to all of them because I mean, I'm not I'm not at the sort of the Stephen King level where I suspect there are lorries full of mail turning up every morning. <laughs> no. No, with, with with checks in, please. If you're going to start doing that, <laughs> but uh, and do you en- and do you enjoy that, uh, Adrian? You're a, you seem a very measured guy to me in the years I've known you. Very measured, and, you know. You you don't run around screaming and carrying on. How do you 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 know? How do you like meeting fans? You I've seen you at book signings, and how easy is that? It's 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 weird. I mean, I'm. It's not something that comes terribly naturally. So I t- I tend to I you. Know, I, I tend to have a bit of a sort of a, a professional face I put on, I guess, for um, conventions and signings and that sort of event. But it's it's nice because it's a it's it is that weird business where, like I say, you don't get much feedback, and mm-hmm. therefore, you know, if you've got someone in front of you who has enjoyed reading your book or somebody's telling you on Twitter that they like the book, that's always a nice thing to hear because, you know, it, it's it's a weird and um, uncertain business. It's always nice to have the reassurance. Yeah, sure, you don't. It's not being a footballer where you have 40,000 people chanting your name, I suppose. So mm. Nice to get that feedback. So I always like to finish with a bit of advice for people. So for for budding authors or perhaps even more importantly for somebody who's you 15 years ago, you know, cracking on but not really having success, what what is your advice for, 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 for people who are writing fantasy and sci-fi out there? This is This is tricky because it's one of those things every writer I've spoken to has a different story about how they got into the game and so there isn't a a particular part there's no established route you take that that all this will get you into into writing the best advice is first of all recognize that there is a colossal element of luck i mean i both in getting in print in the first time and, and just in how children of time has done so well when lord knows there are books that are as good or better that have not had that attention um when you are successful, a great deal of it will just be because by pure chance you're in the right place at the right time with the right kind of book in front of the, a right editor, in the right mood, etc., etc. But the other thing is, when that luck happens to you, you need to make sure that whatever you put in front of them is absolutely as good as it can be. Yeah. And it's, it is because looking back on a lot of the stuff I was submitting, I was writing a first draft and sending it straight off without much of a reread, without much of an edit, without passing it by beta readers without any kind of other feedback uh it just in the assumption that well i was writing this stuff and it was obviously good and it wasn't yeah. and i wasn't you know as the writer of it i wasn't in a place to recognize was, that, so. or was that naivety on the pro you understanding the process or was that you thinking to yourself i don't really fancy somebody criticizing this so i'll just send it off and see how it goes all of the above yeah but honestly if, i mean if you can find a good critic who is no not a family member not a close friend someone whether it's a member of a writer's group or you i mean there are even people who will do paid sort of manuscript um services but getting someone to run an unbiased and potentially harsh eye over it and just let you know these are the things you probably want to look at before you send it off is going to give you a much better bang for your buck yeah sure okay so 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 the final advice for the people you said you know appreciate there's a bit of luck in this game Mm -hmm. Send off the best you possibly can. Anything yeah. else? Anything about the, the the 
stealing yourself for this or, or the mental strength needed? Or? Um, yeah, it, it can be it can be a fairly harrowing thing, especially if it is, you know, as with me, the thing that you really want, basically your big ambition in all the world. And yeah, it's it is because it because there is such an element of element of chance involved. I, be prepared to get knocked back and be prepared to get back on your feet. I mean, some authors keep on with the same book and keep polishing it. Uh, with me, I kept writing book after book, and although, like I say, that resulted in a lot of fairly unpublishable books, it was also a very good way of honing my writing style. And ultimately, here we are with a new book. So, and where does the book sit in the charts at this moment in time? Um, so the big, the big news with Children of Ruin was it went into number 17 of the Amazon hardback chart, which is, you know, hardbacks across the board rather than just sci-fi and fantasy. So yeah. that, I, I, I don't have a huge amount of basis for comparison, but I'm assuming that's good. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds from my perspective, it sounds great. Released, uh, published in the UK and the US at the same time? Yes, which is the first time we've had the, that simultaneous release, which is also a, a really nice, yeah. nice boost. And if you ask the Beatles, it's all about cracking America, is it? Well, it's a big, big market if you can get there, although obviously America has a huge number of extremely good authors of its own. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, good luck with that, Adrian. Um, thanks again for coming in today. Um, you know, we're all proud of you here for what you're achieving. If you've got any questions for Adrian or, or um, you know, you might have some feedback on his books, if you, you can contact Adrian on Twitter. Uh, just give us your Twitter handle. Yes, yeah, so it's at aptshadow, A-P-T-S-H-A-D-O-W. Excellent. Or you can forward any inquiries to me here at podcast at lawblacks.com and I'll make sure those are passed on to you, Adrian. But uh, thank you. for the purpose of the day, thank you for coming. Good luck with the whatever the next books are. And uh, we look forward to the day when there's a character in one of your books called Chris. Thank you. Thank you very much.